You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If your blood runs orange and blue, orange and blue, 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 blue this, this is the pod, is the for, pod you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Oh, man, well, that was a rough one we just dealt with on uh, Thursday night. This is EJ Stewart. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey WFN original. Tommy Beer not on this episode with Tommy Sanders with regards. He'll be back next week. But we have a very special guest on this episode of New, of, uh, of Orange and Blue Bloods. Um, he's been all over Twitter with his uh, great, great uh, video breakdowns of the New York Knicks. You've seen him as a contributor for Knicks Film School, which is an awesome fan create outlet. If you're not familiar with Knicks Film School, definitely check him out. I've had Jonathan Macri on several of my individual podcasts. All those guys are great dudes. We got Ben Ritholz on Orange and Blue Buzz. Ben, so happy to have you on. Thanks for coming on. Uh, what's up, man? Thanks for having me, EJ. It's an honor, an honor to be on with you, to be on WFAN, man. You're talking about uh, talking about my childhood. Um, so yeah. it's cool. It's cool to be on any of their platforms and uh, to be on with you. Obviously, we've been we've been talking on Twitter for a while now, and uh, I, uh, a big fan of your work and what you and Tommy do. So uh, thank you for having me on. It's an, a pleasure to be here. Appreciate it. And Ben also coached at uh, Division Three Yeshiva University, where he also starred. If you ever want to look up his stats, look him <laughs> up. He, he's certified. He's not just a guy that I played a little bit. He's got real numbers. I've seen the career highs and the, and the point total. So Ben, uh, ben could hoop, uh, Ben could coach, so he knows the game. So this should be a great show. So we'll talk about this Knicks loss to the Sacramento Kings, which really was two losses because, of course, we had the injury of Jalen Brunson. Mm. Um, and we'll talk about this Knicks season overall. We'll, we'll break down kind of where things are as they stand right now, 10 games above 500, 39-29, fifth in the East. And, you know, I know Ben's been following the team very closely, so I'm excited to get his thoughts on everything happening with this team. So, uh, once again, before we continue, this is new. Uh, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, uh, an Odyssey WFAN uh, original. Make sure you uh, get this podcast wherever you get them. Make sure you can get them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, just hit the free uh, Odyssey app as well to get that podcast. You can uh, hit the auto-download feature to get these episodes whenever you drop. We drop three times a week. This is the last episode this week. So wherever you get your podcast, make sure you hit the free, um, hit the auto-download feature and check us out on the free Odyssey app. Also, be sure check us out on YouTube where not just our episodes drop our episode segments from each episode uh, are on there as well. So Odyssey Sports is where you'll find us on YouTube. Catch us wherever you get your podcast. Hit that auto download feature to check us out. So let's begin with this uh, Knicks loss. So again, they suffered two losses essentially in Sacramento on Thursday. One, they lost 122-117. It was a ragged game, especially to start the game for the Knicks. They went down 16 points in the first half. Jalen Brunson returned in this game and scored 19 points in the first half 
but then did not return in the second half after suffering more left foot soreness. So that's obviously a great concern for the Knicks moving forward. The Knicks had a comeback in the second half and definitely made things interesting despite some wretched shooting from a lot of their top players. Uh, Randall, RJ, Emmanuel quickly shot a combined four for 28 from three. Barrett did lead the Knicks with 25. Randall had 23. Quinn Grimes did have a good game. He shot the ball really well, scoring 19 points. Did not close this game for a lot of the key parts, uh, stretches of the fourth quarter. So that'll be interesting to talk about. On the uh, King side, Darren Fox and DeMontis Bonus, two all-stars, tremendous. Sabonis, triple-double, 24, 13, and 10. Darren Fox, huge buckets, 15 points uh, in the fourth quarter. He had 23, seven assists. So a uh, tough loss for the Knicks. They trailed most of the night. They had the chance to come back late, but were unable to overcome Fox despite a, a dominant offensive rebound performance. They had 23 offensive rebounds in this game, but Fox kind of put them away. So, um, uh, Ben, starting with just – the, the shooting that we saw in that game. How much do you feel like you can really attribute this loss purely to that? Because it was a, a huge issue. There were plenty of stretches in this game where the ball goes in, you feel like the whole dynamic of the game changes, and Nick just could not find shots to go down. Yeah, it's never one thing, but I would say that, that the shooting issues were the primary thing in this game. Uh, they got themselves so many chances on offensive rebounds. I mean, one of the yeah. reasons that the – number is so high is because they missed they collect so many shots right. uh and and they collect them bad too it's like the rebounds are coming out to like the foul line where josh hart was 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 getting them um so yeah it was a really rough shooting night i do think that was the primary driver of the loss uh, i thought they did enough effort wise in the second half and on the defensive end to win this game i just thought they couldn't get shots to fall ultimately so yeah i i do think that was the primary driver primary issue they had in this game and do you feel like a lot of it was because it seemed like they were getting good shots? I mean, it seemed like I felt like in the first half, especially the first quarter, the Knicks they weren't running any of their sets to me with much uh, strength or force or effort. It, it was a, and it seemed like the Kings were very much on their keys in terms of knowing what the Knicks wanted to do. And it seemed like in the second half, the Knicks were starting to get the kind of looks you expect them to get, especially you know after the offensive rebounds. Do you feel like they were getting good shots? Do you feel like shot selection at all was an issue? down the stretch or do you, do you feel like it really was just guys not making shots? No, I, I generally agree with your analysis there. I thought they did get good looks, um, especially in the second half. You know, when you have Jalen Brunson, you almost don't need good looks because he makes so many tough ones. Um, yeah. And so once he went out and he made some tough ones in the first half, once he went out, um, I thought they generated very good looks. Um, I thought the threes were generally really open. There were a couple of questionable ones. Grimes in the third quarter took a couple long ones that I thought were a bit ambitious, um, but like quickly had a ton of open looks. Uh, RJ, man, RJ throughout the entire game, frankly, had wide open threes that he just wasn't even particularly close on. Yeah. Um, you know, Julius will always add some tough ones to his diet. He likes to take the step backs, but that's part, that's been what he does all season. So it's hard to question it now. Like some of his threes are tough threes. That's how he generates some of them. So overall, yeah, I thought they got great looks. If anything, I thought specifically Josh Hart passed up some ones that I thought he should have taken, especially with great. the way the rest of the team was shooting. It was like, well, the shot you're getting here is the best one we're going to get. Um, and I understand he's selective about when he shoots, but he should probably take some more. But yeah, I thought the shot selection was generally very good. I thought they put pressure on the rim. Even when they didn't score, they got offensive rebounds, kicked them out for those open threes. Those are the most valuable type of threes, right? Analytically is yeah. when, when you kick those out off the offensive rebounds, um, those have the highest make percentage. So it was just one of those nights, man, they couldn't get any to fall. And when you have a night like that, 
oftentimes as a coach, it becomes kind of difficult to kind of pick who to go to because, quite frankly, nobody's really hitting shots. It was kind of peculiar that the one guy that was hitting shots in the second half, Quentin Grimes, and, and was actually doing a admirable job, I guess we could say, against Fox. I don't know if I'd say he was locking them up, but he definitely um, was their best chance at guarding Fox. He sat a long stretch in that fourth quarter and, and a stretch that pretty much decided the game. What did you make of Tibbs' substitutions down the stretch? I, I I tweeted, I thought that this might have been a game with how poorly quickly he was shooting, that maybe you don't go point guard. Maybe you decide to okay, put the ball in Randall and RJ's hands and let those guys kind of be your lead ball handler and then kind of space the floor with everybody else. Um, but maybe you even put a McBride. I don't know. But I, I, I question not having Grimes out there. And I also question not having Mitch out there. I, I thought Mitch had a really bad first half, but Fox was was – destroying them at the rim and it seemed like uh, whenever he got up against Hardenstein Hardenstein played hard last night and you saw the the markings of the blood all over his his, his leg sleeves like he, we knew he, he gave a great effort but he just was no deterrent at all to Fox get at the rim I would like to see Mitch out there did you agree with those substitutions and how Tibbs closed this game He's in a tough spot with these wings um, yeah. because he's going to have to, you know, and this, because Brunson was out, there was a bit more flexibility, but like generally having to choose between Grimes, RJ and Hart. And he's basically chosen Hart. Hart's going to close every game. It seems like, so it's really going to be a question of RJ Grimes and IQ when Brunson's playing. Um, IQ had a terrible game. I understand though. Look, I think he's established himself as probably a third best player on this team. I think I think it says something, and I think it's a worthwhile message to send, which is even when you're not having a good game, and he's had very few bad games over the last two, three months. So, yeah. like, even when he doesn't have it, I'm going to let you close because I trust you. I, I think that's a valuable message. So I, I don't want to – I know I, I saw a lot of, like, why is Quickly in this game. Quickly's in the game because he's been great. So you trust him, and he was the only point guard out there. So I, I didn't mind that. I, I – I questioned having RJ in there over Grimes last night. Uh, yeah. They took him out. I think they took Grimes out with like 4.30 left and for RJ. And RJ, look, he's resilient, man. He keeps going and he turns what was like – this is he does this a lot, right, where he turns a abominable first half and yeah. turns it into like, well, at least I got my 25 on 23 because I had a good second half or like I was relentless to the rim and I got to the line. and But – I just felt like Grimes was more valuable in that mass matchup for the reasons that you stated. Like he clearly was their best option on Fox. Like Josh Hart is a wonderful defensive player. He's not meant to guard the quickest guards in the league. That's just not yeah. him. Like he's really good off the ball. He's really tough on wings. You ask him to guard the fastest point guards in the league. He's going to get blown by, especially when he hadn't sat since he came in about right. midway through the third quarter. So we're talking yeah. about a guy who's played that many straight minutes and um, playing hard minutes too. I mean, we, you saw. I mean, yeah. I mean, his guy was an animal on the glass. As and, hard and so, as hard as you'll ever see a guy play for a half. Right. I mean, he was everywhere. So it's like asking him to now guard De'Aaron Fox is probably too much. So yeah. I did think that Grimes should have been in the game. Um, and RJ, as much as his downhill attacking helped, kind of helped help get help get them where they were by the end of the fourth there to have a chance to win it i just didn't feel like his value was the same as grimes in that spot so i did disagree with that um that said i have trouble getting too upset about another guy like rj's your guy man you just signed him he's young he's like been with the franchise i i understand a coach saying like you know i gotta close with this guy 
Right. Uh, and so I don't know. I, I'm, I'm mixed on it. I think I would have gone with Grimes down the stretch. I, I don't envy the position of having to choose between those guys because it's not easy. But um, I think Grimes was probably the right call. And I feel like you mentioned the the kind of conundrum they have at the wing, which is kind of ironic because they kind of had a conundrum with Cam Reddish that they they just decided to they decided that he was not part of the equation. So yeah. a conundrum that was a conundrum, especially for some Nick fans, just ended up not being one for the team because they decided just not to play that guy. They replaced him with a guy in Josh Hart who you have to play, and now you have a real conundrum because now yeah. you have you know three guys on the wing, and if you could quickly as a pseudo wing because it's kind of a combo. Like you have four guys essentially that will all will have a case to close any game the Knicks are playing. And we have a game where you know Hart is playing tremendous, but all the other three guys are all playing kind of terrible. It's, it, it puts you in a tough bind and it puts you in a tougher bind in those games where they actually are playing well. And now you have to make a decision. Um, and then we saw RJ get frustrated at certain points since the hard trade when he is not uh closed game. So it, it's 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 gonna be kind of a, a storyline throughout. You mentioned the contract you just gave RJ, you mentioned him being number three pick in the draft. All these guys have have like emotional weight to them, emotional sure. value to them. Like they're all first round picks and quickly crimes and RJ. Um, they all are guys that people look at and say, Hey, these guys are the future of the franchise in terms of being you know potential pieces and at the end of the day like they all can't play at once so this is a continues to be a decision that Tim's gonna have to make down the stretch yeah and it is look it's it's theoretically a good problem to have right because they right. have they have all these quality guys that could finish a game for you i think the best way to do it is to truly match up um and i and and that's where kind of this matchup i thought was was befitting for grimes to finish like it it should be used as a weapon um we know that Tibbs sometimes gets rigid and will have a closing lineup regardless. And I wonder if that's just the case. Yeah. Um, although when Brunson's in, it seems to be RJ sits on the bench as well. And it's IQ and heart. That's been the closing lineup for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, it's, I'm not sure it will be utilized as a weapon in the way that I kind of wish it was, but uh, I do think, you know, on the positive side of it, it's you've developed these players to the point where they could all finish games and they're all valuable pieces for different reasons. On the um, Hartenstein thing, you know, I, yeah. I didn't have as much of an issue with it and I understand your point. And again, it's not just about who was playing better or who was the better matchup. It's also Hartenstein had played how many straight minutes, seven footer playing that many straight minutes. Yeah. It's a lot to ask and played his butt off as well in terms of being on the offensive glass and after Absolutely. every single rebound and trying to keep up with Sabonis and the way that offense moves in Sacramento, it is a lot to deal with on a possession to possession basis for a five to deal with Sabonis handoffs and getting in position and all that. It's not easy. So I get it. And I, maybe they should have been kind of moved in and out a little bit quicker for that reason. In terms of, I thought though that Hartenstein did a really good job. And I also just didn't like the way Mitch approached the game from really the first possession. I thought to allow Sabonis to power through you and get to his left hand on his very first possession when that's all that he wants to do in the post said yeah. a lot about kind of where Mitch's approach was in that game. And I think Tibbs kind of sensed that you mm. can't let that guy who, by the way, is X amount of inches shorter than you. I know he's an ox. I know he's strong, but like yeah. you're Mitchell Robinson, you cannot just let him get a left-handed layup in the post against you on the first possession. Like that's a statement. Yeah. And so I, I, I was kind of frustrated with Mitch the whole night. And so I didn't have an issue with Hartenstein fin finishing. But again, I think it's asking a lot of these players, and this is a Tibbs thing where like Hart enters the game and he never leaves, quickly enters the game, he never leaves. Hartenstein enters the game. In this case, he never left. Like it, yeah. you can stagger these guys in and out a little bit quicker so that they're not playing 
18, 19 straight minutes. I mean, it's kind of nuts. So I, I yeah. wonder if that's something they'll look at. Yeah, it, it seems to be, and, and Tibbs has said this a lot when it came to going to the shorter rotation. I don't know if he's necessarily said it in terms of some of these long stretches he got to play, but I imagine this is where he's thinking as well. He seems to value guys playing in rhythm and guys playing well and riding that out and feeling like even if they're not playing so great, um, I can ride this out and hopefully they'll find that rhythm and, and get that touch. I think he saw Hartenstein playing so well and he figured uh, he's in a rhythm now. I don't want to bring in Mitch, who's cold, who hasn't played in, in a while. I thought Mitch, we'll talk about Brunson in a second. I thought Mitch, he's little, he had a couple of nicks and necks in this game too. He, I don't know how 100% healthy he was in that second half. And I had someone tweet me, maybe that was why he actually didn't play. But either way, like mm-hmm. it seems like Tibbs in these stretches is like, look, this guy is going, he's playing well. Like, I'm just going to ride him, but it, yeah. it's just, it's just uneven because then you have Quentin Grimes who was playing really well and he elected not to put him in to go with RJ. So it, it's, I, that's the one thing I've always had trouble with tips at times. It feels like there's too much inconsistency with like when he decides to go to his principles and when he ignores them. Yeah. And, and on the other side of it, it's hard to argue that since he went to that nine man rotation and is kind of employed quickly in this way, quickly has made a huge jump in terms of his yeah. production and his, his effectiveness. So like I do, I, he said that on, I've heard him in press conferences say like, since we made that change and got it's specifically affected quickly in his rhythm. And what he means by that is I just leave him in the game uh, <laughs> right. and it's, yeah. and it's worked. So it is, yeah. it is a bit hard to argue against. And the question is like, is there diminishing returns when guys play that long? Maybe quickly has a certain level of stamina. I'm not sure you could apply to Isaiah Hartenstein who's a seven footer and is a backup setter. Like, I don't know how he, how effective he is when you play him that many straight minutes. Um, and even quickly now, I know the Boston game was kind of a, um, an exception because of how long it was and how many minutes he played, which was crazy, but he hasn't looked the same since. And you wonder if he's still recovering from that. And that's not really, you know, double overtime games, double overtime game. He was great in it. It's hard to blame Tibbs for playing him that long. But um, again, you just wonder in terms of your substitution patterns in this game, if you could have been a little bit more judicious in terms of subbing guys in and out and trying to stay fresh, especially as I said, against the pace of Sacramento, which is extreme. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Yeah, yeah. And, and and before we get to Brunson, what did you make? I mean, this is the first time a lot of Knicks fans watched Sacramento this season. Um, I, I mean, Tommy talked about it prior to uh, the game that Sacramento has one of the best offenses in the league, one of the fastest paces in the league. A lot of Knicks fans, I think, were maybe some of them were a little surprised because they're what the Kings have been for the last 15, 20 years at this point. Um, how did, were the Knicks, how were the Kings so successful in being able to break down uh, that Knicks defense, which we know has played uh, at a pretty good level for a little while now. Yeah, I thought, you know, it's an adjustment uh, to play a team like that. And you definitely saw it early. Like they were they were not ready for that kind of pace and activity on the offensive end. And Sabonis as the hub, like just dribble handoff into dribble handoff into post, into pass, into like split action. Like they just run a ton of stuff consecutively that's hard to adjust to and not similar to most NBA offenses um fox is a load to deal with like every he puts so much pressure on you just because of his speed um and then 
you mix around, they have such good shooting around them with Herter, who's an elite shooter, and Monk, who came first half was blazing, right? Yeah. And then you have and then and then you have Keegan Murray, who's emerging as a real player and made some didn't make like made some moves and shots last night that kind of were eye-opening in terms of what kind of talent yeah. he is. Like he made an on the move three that was like leaning to his right off a handoff that was kind of wild, and a couple of reverse layups where he attacked. So uh, it's a unique offense, and it's really tough to contend with. I thought the Knicks were caught off guard by it, which is not all that surprising. And I think they adjusted throughout the game and started to deal with it better as the game went on. I didn't think they gave up a lot of easy points in the second half. And then I thought De'Aaron Fox, which he's done all year long, just closed the game. Um, yeah. He just closed the game with shot-making and incredible dribble moves. That last cross on Hart was as filthy a move as you'll see all yeah. season long. Um, it was like a little hezzy dribble on his right side and then just blow by cross left. And again, I thought it was a lot to ask of Josh Hart. I thought Grimes would have been the better matchup, but you got to give credit to a guy who has closed games all year with incredible efficiency. So yeah, they're a lot. They're a lot to deal with. I thought the Knicks kind of figured it out as the game went along, but it's a tough offense to stop. And it was also unfortunate to see Fox doing what he was doing. And you mentioned how great he is. He's been the leading scorer in clutch points all season. So, again, I think not just Knicks fans, a lot of NBA fans who have not paid attention to Kings this year. That was a national TV game. Uh, we're like, wow, okay, this is what the Kings are working with right now. Um, Fox was tremendous, but it was unfortunate to see Fox be able to go uh, essentially almost unopposed in closing that game because we know for the Knicks, that closer for the most part has been Jalen Brunson. And Jalen yeah. missed this 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 part. I think that was a, a crucial piece of this game that the Knicks couldn't match Fox's offensive output. If you're coming into this stretch of games here where you don't have Brunson, how can the Knicks adjust late in games to try to make up for it or or can they is it is it not uh, is it going to become a thing where they're just going to have to have somebody step up from night to night and figure it out kind of by osmosis yeah it's it's crazy right the difference that you see when randall's option a instead of b um yeah. it's just so evident like in how much he struggles to just contain to, to protect the ball dribble You've the ball it. right yeah exactly. it's like when you went off and we saw look it's like all all from the atlanta series like we understand we know like when teams load up on him and can load up on him and not worry about the consequences of doing that he's just not a quick enough decision maker and he's not quite secure enough with the ball to to make things happen so i don't think the answer is running things through julius um, I and and against Boston in that first overtime and in the fourth quarter, you saw the same thing, right? No Brunson. Now what they did in the second overtime was they handed the offense off to, I, to IQ and quickly made plays and won that game for them, brought it home. I think that's that is the answer is like IQ with more responsibility with the ball. The issue in this game was that IQ was just having an awful night of it. Um, and so can yeah. you rely on him night to night to be that guy? Well, that's the next step for Emmanuel quickly is like, is he that guy like a Jalen Brunson where I can just hand him the ball in the fourth quarter and expect him to generate shots for my team? I don't know if he's quite there yet. I think he's really made a huge step this year, but I don't know if he's quite there yet. And it becomes an issue. Like RJ is a guy that theoretically should be supplying that offense in the late game, but they didn't don't trust him with the ball at all down the stretch. And I don't know if they're wrong not to. Like I don't right. think his decision-making throughout the game – entitled him to that kind of responsibility down the stretch. So it's, you're in a tough spot. Like in that game, you kind of sense it. Like, where do they go for this offense right now? Yeah. And Tibbs will default to like Julius stuff. And the Julius stuff was a bit of a disaster down the stretch. Um, Grimes isn't really quite ready to like have those on ball reps yet. So he wasn't the answer. 
Um, it's hard. And their offense, um, as great as it's been this season, and and I think everyone gets credit for how great it's been this season, it's not a very creative offense, right? It's essentially we're going to bully you. We're going to get isolation. We're going to run it down your throat and get offensive rebounds off of that and get to the line a ton. Like, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. When you don't have Jalen Brunson, who's kind of the guy that makes that all work, because he's the best at getting downhill and the best at making those floaters and the best at drawing attention. It kind of all goes to hell and they don't have like the intricate sets or ball movement to make up for it. Right. So I do think it's a challenge for this team specifically to run without Brunson. If IQ is not going to take his place at like the, like he did against Boston. I think that is going to be a challenge. And I think it's why the Knicks desperately need Jalen Brunson back as soon as possible. Uh, but this game also taught you that you can't bring him back too quick because it's right. going to re-aggravate that thing. So we have to make sure it's healthy and you got to try to steal some games in the meantime. Yeah. I, I, you know, whenever I hear a foot deal, I mean, every injury is obviously frustrating, but when you're, whenever you're a foot thing, that that's something where you need rest because at the end of the day you could feel okay. And then you go out there and you go, you take that pounding and all of a sudden um, you're not okay. And, and you could actually aggravate or make things worse. So I kind of wish the Knicks would have held a little more restraint. I know Jalen wanted to be out there. I know he wanted to start this West Coast trip and, and play throughout the way. But I, 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 it's unfortunate that he had that situation happen with the foot injury because now, you know, who knows how long he'll be out. And as we saw um, in the game on Thursday night or the game against Charlotte, like this is kind of what the Knicks are when they close games. And it looks a lot like the 2021-2022 Knicks, like, um, a lot of the same yeah. issues that Knicks had closing games that season, they look like the exact same team. I'm watching Graham look at the ball ripped out of his hands from uh, by by Harrison Barnes. I'm seeing the team, uh, you know, not be able to execute inbound plays with Harden and Randall having confusion. Like, they really need to uh, make sure that they can get Brunson healthy. And in the meantime, they're going to have to hold on for dear life. What they can do is they cannot start a game down 16 points um, and shooting as poorly as they did uh, in that game. That That will help them a great deal to avoid those kind of situations. Yeah, exactly right. And I think it's easy to look at the fourth quarter um, of games because these games inevitably like swing back and forth now in the NBA and they end up close. But like, you're exactly right to look at that first quarter and that start and the Knicks just weren't ready for the Knicks for the Kings energy and pace and and ball movement. And I think you, you really look back on the game as a whole and you say, yeah, they could have shot the ball better. But had they come out a little bit more ready for that? game i think they're they probably win this one so it, it, yeah. it's a good call out and to think about those first quarters generally the knicks i think have been pretty good in the first quarter this year yeah um that was a pretty rough one so yeah 100 percent. yeah so knicks lose this one 122 or 117 they now move on to their uh los los angeles back-to-back -back they have coming up they got the clippers saturday <sighs> lakers sunday so nba scheduling not doing any favors for this team but uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I want to kind of uh, take a kind of a more macro look at this season as we have uh, uh, Ben Rickholtz here of Knicks Film School breaking down uh, the game last night. We're talking about this Knicks season so far. The job performance of Tom Thibodeau. Uh, he's, it's been much talked about. Whenever you have a Knicks head coach, <laughs> the job performance is always going to be up in front and center every single game. They want to fire him after one game. They want to give him coach year at the next game. So this is just kind of <laughs> where the territory comes with. Thibodeau, uh, he took the job over, of course, in 2020-2021 uh, season. Knicks right now currently 10 games above 500 again, 39 and 29, which is good for fifth in the East. Overall, how do you feel Tom Thibodeau has done this season? He's had to make some very, you know, difficult decisions. You know, he decided to remove Evan Fournier and Derrick Rhodes out of the rotation, which 
may seem like obvious moves today, but at the time, considering what Rose means to him and what Fournier's contract means to the Knicks, were not easy decisions. Um, Overall, just how do you assess kind of what he's done uh, with with the Knicks so far this season? I think you have to say he's done a great job. I think like, like, you know, I, I know where I was before the season is like this being around the 500 basketball team. Um, they have exceeded that. I think having the fifth best offense in the NBA, which they still do as of today, um, is shocking and incredible and is a credit yeah. to, again, what is not the most beautiful offense in the league, but is one of the most effective. And they have utilized and um, focused on their players' strengths in a really smart way. We're like Mitchell Robinson's the best offensive rebounder in basketball or probably second best to Steven Adams. Well, let's give him the opportunities. Let's make sure we're getting in that floater range. Let's, and we have great a great player that gets downhill and in that floater range in Jalen Brunson. So we can do that. And RJ gets in the lane and Randall gets in the lane and we're strong and we're physical. Like it all makes sense. And that's really what a coach's job is ultimately is to make it all make sense and to use the strengths that your players have and maximize them. And I think he has done that in a real way. It's not to say I don't have my issues. The rigidity is still there. The Cam Reddish situation was a disaster. Um, yeah. And whether that speaks to like Tibbs on his own or whether it speaks to the front office and the coach not being on the same page, either way, it's a problem. And it was a waste of an asset and a shame. Now they can move on. It's not going to like kill the franchise or anything, but it needs to be talked about. I agree yeah. with you that the Fournier and Rose thing, again, like it's easy for fans to say, get those guys out of here. But like when the owner's paying the money that he's paying and when especially Tibbs to Rose and like what that relationship means to him and Rose, just what he meant to the team the last couple of years, not as easy a decision for a coach to actually make. And the fact that he made yeah. it and the team has taken off from there, I think is a credit to him. Um, I think that look defensively, they're 16th in the league. I don't think that's uh, where you'd expect, but since they made that rotation change, it's been top 10 in the league where you'd expect it to be. So, um, and they, and they picked up, it's like they are very specifically building a team that is a Tibbs team. Right. right. So like on one hand, that's, smart because that's your coach on the other hand it's like well should we have to build a team that's based on our coach's team because he's not able to adapt to other types of teams i think that's a fair question to ask but for now he's been given a team that makes a lot of sense to his style and to his preferences they picked up a free agent that literally embodies everything that he believes in and uh, sorry they made a trade for someone that embodies everything that they believe in and josh hart and it's all gone i think according to plan so i i think you have to say he's done a very good job with this team if there was one thing you feel like he doesn't get enough credit for, what would you say for this season? Do you think it's the offense and how they've, 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 because if you think of Tibbs, you don't think of offensive efficiency. We yeah. Think of as a head coach. You think of defense, you think of other things, rebounding, but the Knicks offense you mentioned has been top five for most of the season. Yeah. You know, I would, I would, I think that is correct. I think he should get credit for that because I think it's, surprising and nobody would have taken the Knicks to be a top five offense. I don't care who you were and how high you are on this team. I think if you were really high on this team to this extent, I think it would have been because you thought their defense would be elite, not their offense. Um, But I, I, you know, the thing about a Tibbs team, and I think this was, this has been true since he's been here is, and he doesn't necessarily get enough credit for it. And I think when team, when people want other coaches, other coaches, other franchises don't necessarily get this. We're like that last night's game is a great example. That's a blowout in a lot of different cases, depending on who the coach is and the way and his style, like 
you just you're still coming off the Boston game. The Charlotte game was a rough loss. You just got to the West Coast in Sacramento, which is one of the best atmospheres in basketball, and that team is flying and they're hot. And you're down 16. I just think a lot of teams and coaches punt that game. Yeah. Um, and I, I I think what Tibbs doesn't get credit for is that this team is legitimately competitive in every single game that they play. They haven't been blown out since that Dallas game. And that was really a second half. Like they haven't been blown out. It doesn't happen yeah. to them. That yeah. is like not a thing. Like they just don't, they refuse to get blown out. And like as much as that stresses us out because we're watching close games every single night. And I think it gets construed sometimes as like, why can't we blow them out? But it's like, no, no, no. other teams are good. Like the fact of the matter is you're in every single game. And that is absolutely a credit to the coach who refuses to allow it to go any other way. Um, I appreciate that as a fan. Cause like I well, man, you and I have watched plenty of freaking blowouts and letting go of the oh, yeah. games in our, in our Knicks fandom life. Right. Like yeah, so the, the Fisdale, the Fisdale and Derek Fisher era, man. particularly not, not yes, necessarily. A exactly. Run. Right. So it's like, man, I'm going to watch close fourth quarters and I'm going to watch my team be competitive with the best teams in the league every single night. Like I, that's taken for granted. I don't think he gets enough credit for that specific aspect. Cause I think he demands a lot of his players. And if there's buy-in, then this is what you get. It's a really good, tough product. I, I think that that's a, that last part I think is exactly the nail on the head there. Like to me, what I, what I think I always appreciate about Tibbs and people know people listen to this podcast. I am extremely hard on Tibbs often on this show. But the one thing I always do say is I do appreciate how he keeps the team prepared. And uh, you mentioned that they have that buy-in. And whether or not I believe stuff he's doing, those players believe it. It's very clear. Um, And and the way that they don't quit, just like they did on Thursday night, where a game where that easily could have been a 25-point loss, and they make that game a tie game late in the game. I mean, they had no business being in that game against a team that good. And the fact that they, they kept the game that close down the stretch, I think it is a testament to Tibbs. I agree with that. If there is one adjustment you feel like he needs to make down the stretch of the season, what would it be? Mm. Like that he'll realistically make or not? <laughs> That's a good question. How about no? How about just pie in the sky? Like, like let's like, let's not like limit it. Like, like what? Like what's yeah. an adjustment that because because you know the reason why I say that is because we got to the playoffs in twenty twenty one and. All year we were saying Alfred Payton needs to be taken out of the rotation. Yeah, he definitely yeah. should be starting. And it took him until game three, but he eventually did get to that point. That's why. So that's why I said, I mean, I would never, I wouldn't have thought that that was realistic based on how he had uh, rode Alfred Payton that year. So that's why I say, let's see, let's get crazy. What, what, what could he possibly do? Yeah, I mean, it's not too crazy. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I, I'm, I really would like them to see, I would really like to see them initiate more offense through the elbows. Um, because right now everything is based on, and Stan Van Gundy, I thought was actually very good last night on the broadcast. And I don't often say that about national broadcasts. He talked about how everything is off the dribble and how it's just so much of requiring Brunson, RJ Randall to get from the top of the key to wherever they need to do get and draw doubles and then kick out from there. Like that's really the offense boils down to that is like, that's how they create advantages on their offense. And you watch Sacramento last night, and Sabonis is ideal for this, but Julius Randle's very capable of playing this way. It's like, can we run some sets where, like, he catches on the elbow and, like, just just pivots into a dribble handoff and, like, we have some action on the weak side? Like, can we – even through Hartenstein, man, who, who right. did this with L.A., like, I, he doesn't need to do that stuff, like, where he's, like, literally quarterbacking the offense. But, like, man, he can catch – the like, 
And and it makes them so susceptible to these trapping defenses, which is what you saw in the first half with Sacramento, was they were just trapping Brunson and forcing the ball out of his hands and then recovering back. And they won't throw the ball to their center. And so it just gets so stagnant and ends up in a late clock isolation. And it's like, well, you can run some stuff like you're entering the ball early and like let Brunson come off a down screen. Like he doesn't have to do everything from the top of the key all the time. Um, I think that'll add some variance. And like when Brunson's even out, like a game like last night, I think that gives you something else to go to um, when you are in the mud a bit. Cause right now it's like either we can find a mismatch if a team is switching, which they did against like Boston, for example, and like exploit that and get a double or we just have to isolate on our guys and hope that our guys are good enough. And they've been good enough a lot of the year. Like Randall and Brunson have been good enough a lot of the year to make that work. But like, it would be nice to see a little bit more variance. Um, and I would say adding Grimes into some more actions would be also a good idea. He just, there are long swaths of games where he just doesn't touch the ball. And I think yeah. he's, he has a lot of gravity. He hasn't shot the ball incredibly well this year, but I think teams really respect him as a shooter. I think they could utilize him a bit more and just like generally varying the offense a bit so that it's not as predictable and so that they have other items to go to when the first thing is taken away. Yeah. I mean, when I did, uh, we did new year's resolutions. My, my, one of my main ones was getting putting Grimes 10 shots a game um, because it seems like when he usually gets those kind of shot attempts, the Knicks usually win. And you're right. There are, there are plenty of stretches where he's invisible and you kind of forget he's out there if he wasn't for the fact that he's playing, you know, the other team's best guard probably. So yeah. I definitely agree using, using Grimes more, getting him more involved with the offense. There are times where it almost looks like, and I saw it last night too, where it, when he got it going, it almost looks like the other players don't expect him to also stay aggressive. Because there were times where Randall was like demanding him to like give him the ball like immediately. And Grimes is kind of looking like, well, like I kind of got it going and like I can kind of take advantage of this. Like, can I just play? And Randall's just posted at that three-point <laughs> line in the wing, like, give me the ball right now. And Man, you know, Randall, does, Randall does that with Brunson sometimes. I'm like, are I know. you kidding me? <laughs> um, but this is just who he is, man. Um, yeah, no, for sure. I agree with that. And I think, look, I, I think Grimes went – you saw last night when they needed a little bit more juice for him on the bounce, like he had a bad turnover late. Um, yeah. Cause he's not quite there yet as like a guy who can create off the dribble without the advantage created for him. So like when someone kicks out to him and someone's recovering, now he can blow by them. He does that very well, but like to create his own advantage, I think is still a challenge, but I'd like to see him get more opportunities. And even just like within the flow of the offense, like pivoting into a dribble handoff with him, um, running a pin down screen for him just to get him a couple more shots and let him get, and I wonder if, cause I, I believe in his shot. I think he's a 40% three point shooter. I wonder if just like more consistent touches will get him there. Cause I think it's hard right now. Like he just sits there and sits there and sits there and waits for that one crazy one-handed sling pass from Randall to hit him in the hands. And he's got to make that shot. Cause that's his only opportunity. Right. I think a bit more flow for him would go a long way. Um, so I definitely agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of those things uh, where I think I hope the team kind of understands his value as, as a whole. I, I do quickly want to go through just kind of uh, where some things lie with this team. Um, Brunson and Randall had tremendous seasons that we've mentioned. Uh, Grimes, RJ Barrett, very up and down this season. Some plateauing, yes, in some of his progression, but he's had some good moments. Uh, Mitchell Robinson has established himself as one of the better bigs, particularly defensively and on the glass. Uh, what's been most surprising to you about this season so far? From the team perspective, yeah, I mean, we, we are. It would be the offense, but we've touched on that. Right. Already, so I'll try to think yeah. of something else. But yeah, where their offense is 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 rather shocking to me. Um, 
most surprising thing. Um, I would say it has to be Randall's bounce back. Mm. Uh, I, I think, you know, it, it's hard to talk about now because his last two games have been pretty rough and have, yeah, he's kind of gone back on some bad old habits from last year that are hard to watch. Cause I'm, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to send him out of town last year, but um, <laughs> same like a lot of people. Yeah. But I, I think it's a ma- major credit to him. Um, the way he's changed his game, the way he's allowed Brunson to take the reins, the way he's changed his shot diet, the volume of three point shooting, even when it's not, he's not making a ton, but like he's taking them so often and he's, Ultimately, he's around 33, 34%, whatever, but teams have to respect that he takes tough ones. And like some games, his three point shooting just carries them when he gets when he yeah. gets going. Um, his offensive rebounding in his own right, uh, he's been much more aggressive on the glass this season. He's finding ways to help them win. And until the last couple of games, and last night was really bad, his defense has been a big uh has improved a ton. And they've allowed him to switch more liberally, which I always was calling for because I think he's pretty good at that. And he's generally been more aggressive and better than he ever was in drop, which he's terrible in. Um, last night yep. was bad. Fox blew by him any time, and Monk, Monk went off on him in the first half. I just didn't think he was in position. I don't know if he's just exhausted. I don't know if he's um, unfocused for whatever reason right now. But he's got to kind of just he's got to channel it back because what he was doing prior to that during the win streak was extremely impressive on switches. Yeah. So like. You know, I've we've read articles where like he's definitely changed his mindset and he's more focused and he and he's trying to clear his head of distractions and he's he deserves so much credit for that because what went on last year I thought was irredeemable and he's redeemed himself. So I, I think that has to be the most surprising thing and it's it's frankly allowed them to make this kind of leap this year. Yeah, Randall, uh, we 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 mentioned. It. I mean, I, he went from a guy that me and Tommy were talking about. Hey, man sell high on him um and now to the point where you're like hey i guess he's kind of just part of the team now because the way he's played you kind of can't just give him away unless you're, you're getting maybe a star back at this point so i agree randall has been a, a big surprise this year uh, we're running quickly out of time here but how much how sustainable do you feel like the production from randall and brunson assuming he's healthy how sustainable do you think that is come playoff time it's a great question. You're talking about playing against teams like Cleveland in that first round, potentially. Yeah. Um, most likely, really. Um, you know, we know what Evan Mobley is defensively. They don't necessarily got great guards defensively, though. I assume. No, but um, they play hard. Coral. They play hard now, and they, they both improved. Hard. Garland and Mitchell have both improved on the perimeter, but they're small. Um, yeah. I have no questions about Brunson. Zero. Mm-hmm. And like the only question I have about Brunson is whether teams are going to force him to move to get rid of the ball, which I think is likely. Yeah. And they're going to make Randall beat them. I think if you let Jalen Brunson play pick and roll in one-on-one isolation, especially against small guards like that, um, you're gonna you're gonna score a lot of points. I think he's that good. I just think he's that good. I mean, you saw it. You saw it last year in the playoffs, right? When yeah. when when Luca was out, like he's proven that he can do this. And I have zero doubts. He's just an elite shot maker. He just is. Um, yeah. And everyone needs to just accept that because it is. It just is who he is. Randall, I I have look. I still. He's winning me back. And I, I even throughout the good stretches this year, like when Macri had me on, I'm like, I, he can't, I, I'm not one over just because there's still the decision-making issues. And there's still, like I said last night, he's on delay. He's on three second delay sometimes. Yeah. In terms of like, he just doesn't process what's happening in front of him quickly enough to maintain the advantage, make the right play. And I wonder how that translates to a playoff team. And I wonder how that translates. Let's say he becomes the third best player. 
because I think ultimately if this team wants to get where it wants to get to, it's going to need someone, another player better than him. How does he look as a complimentary third piece? And like, can he be in that role and be that effective? Uh, those are, I think, real questions about Randall that I still do have. And it does, when I'm really thinking deeply about it, like, do I think he's the long-term solution at power forward for this championship team with Jalen Brunson on it? I don't know the answer right now. I'm not positive that that's the case. Um, I don't really trust him. I think he's going to have to prove it to us in the playoffs because the difference between now and Atlanta is that he has Brunson. The defense is going to be more attentive to Brunson than to him. So he's going to be playing with a bit more space and he just needs to take advantage of that. And if they do force yeah. the ball out of Brunson's hands, he's got to be the guy to make, make defenses pay. We'll see if he can do it. I think, I think he can, but I think he's got to prove it to us. I think a lot. I think a lot of McFans will agree with that, considering what he did last season and what they saw in that Atlanta series. Um, last thing, real quickly, ceiling for this team. Like it's been, it's been a lot of the conversation during the nine-game winning streak. Uh, maybe people tempered their expectations. Some people maybe who jumped out of the window or trying to climb back into the window and they're upset after what happened. Uh, the Kings and the Hornets game. Ceiling for this team for for a playoff run. Is it Eastern Conference Finals? Is it first round? Is it semifinals? Like, where, where do you see in terms of ceiling? Not necessarily your pick, but just. What do you think this team can go given how well they've played throughout the season? Personally, I think second round is the ceiling. Okay. Um, I don't see them beating the the big three, as it were. Um, I think Cleveland is the right matchup. I think there are things I really like about that matchup if they get there and they have to get there. Um, yeah. They have to stay in this five seed. It's really important that they stay in the five seed because uh, I think it's the best matchup by far against the least experienced team by far um, yeah. of the of the top four. Um, I don't know if who I would pick in that series. I think I might lean Cleveland if I'm being totally objective about it. But the Knicks have a real shot in that series. I I, I don't think there's I don't think they're quite at the level yet of the Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and um, and Boston tier in in a seven game series. But I think they'll give everybody some games. Like I don't think they're getting swept. Yeah. Like what we spoke about before. Like they're just not built that way. Like they're going. Every game is going to be a game. They're not getting blown off the floor. Anybody's floor. Um, but it's just a matter of like the easy points that those teams can generate through their stars that I think over a seven game series, just the Knicks are going to have to work a lot harder for their points than, than those guys are for, just for the star power um, yeah. reasons. But I, I, I think the legitimate ceiling is a second round. Some might think the Eastern conference finals, I'm not quite there, but I, I don't think it's unfair to say that the way they played over the last couple months. Where are you? Yeah. I, so I've been on the, I've been, Recently, as a reason, after that, during the nine win streak, I thought Eastern Conference Finals. I thought, to me, Boston became a team that I'm not saying they would beat, but no longer a team that I feel like they have no chance against. Like, if you would have asked okay. me three weeks ago, I would have said no chance against – well, if you asked me about four weeks ago, I would have said no chance against Philly, no chance against Boston, no chance against uh, uh, Milwaukee. Then I saw those two Philly games and said, I think they have a chance against Philly. Then I see the two Boston games, and I say, okay, I think they have a chance against Boston. So, to me, those are the teams you would potentially face in a second round. So, if they see those teams, I say, I think they have a shot. They're not going to beat them in anything less than seven, but I think they will have a chance. I don't think they could beat Milwaukee. I think that that is where the buck stops, no pun intended. I think that Milwaukee, uh, they were not going to be as affected by the Knicks' physicality and their size down low. And that would be a big factor. I think the fact that you have Brooke Lopez patrolling the paint, uh, Randall and Brunson's abilities to get whatever they want around the basket, mm -hmm. I think would dissipate greatly. And then, of course, Giannis is out there as well. That's a terrible matchup. But I, I do feel like the Knicks have shown that they just look comfortable against the Celtics. That they don't, 
it's like sometimes you get those teams that just don't fear another team. And I know that's kind of like getting to narrative talk, but I just feel like when I watch RJ up against Jalen, Jason Tatum, he just feels comfortable. Um, when I watch the way Brunson and Randall play against those guys, they don't look like they feel like they're inferior. A lot of times half the battle is you believing you could beat these teams. Yeah. I think yeah. the Knicks would feel like they could beat beat the, the Celtics and the Sixers deal. With Doc Rivers coaching the playoff series, <laughs> I'm always gonna be I picked them to go to the finals. I picked them to win the championship this year. Doc and, I'm and still James saying, Yeah, Doc and James Harden, a guy who mm. when he plays a seven game series, having you seen now every pattern he has that every move he's gonna do and everything they're gonna run offensively, I see him look like a pitcher that's going on that third start of a seven game series. That's what he looks like to me every time I watch him in the playoffs. So for that reason, and I think that if you're talking about teams equipped to guard Joel Embiid or at least not get destroyed, I think Nick's one of the teams that would say, okay, they have a fighting chance with Mitch and Hardenstein. So that's why I would say uh, ceiling Eastern Conference Finals. I think that's fair. And I, and I, we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. I, I maybe am too slow to like accept that this team is like really an upper echelon of the Eastern Conference and maybe they have been playing that way. So I think it's very fair um to go there I, i'm just i'm my mentally not quite there yet i also think that you know in the discourse i think cleveland's been a bit underrated in our rush to supplant them as the four seed and just like thinking about that matchup ahead which may hopefully will happen um that team like in terms of net rating is one or two in the league they're they're better yeah. than than i mean they've legitimately been in some you know if you're looking at the metrics the best team in basketball according to some metrics so like their defense has been elite 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 their offense has been top 10 um donovan mitchell is a proven playoff performer yeah. uh so it's i don't think i think nick's fans should not take that series for granted i'm not saying you can't say they can win that series because i think they can i'm just i think cleveland's really good and we we should uh at least at least have the proper respect for that team they are very good so we'll yeah, see they, like i'm just hoping it gets there i would love to see that whether you know if the knicks can stay five so that we're going in with like really feeling like we're at least we have a real real shot at this uh that would be so cool that would be so yeah, cool. it, yeah, I know. If the Atlanta series taught Knicks fans anything is that they definitely should not take the first round for granted. <laughs> no, um, no, no, no. No, there's a lot of good te- a lot of good teams out there, a lot of good players out there. Then I could talk to you about the Knicks for another hour, but I, I've run out of time here. Uh thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh let people know where they can find you. Sure. Thanks, man. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh I'm at, at Ben Ritholtz MBA. Uh my my pseudonym as it were is Ritholtzman. Uh you know, after the classic Red Holtzman, the greatest coach in Knicks yeah. history. Um, so if you find that guy pointing, that's me. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can find me there. And I'm on Macri's pod a lot. I do some of his post games with him to start at least. Um, so all over Knicks Film School, all their stuff, um, YouTube videos, uh, film breakdowns, like I'm all over all of that. So so follow Knicks Film School if you're not already, because you'll find me there as well. And uh, otherwise, yeah, all over Twitter. So thanks for having me, EJ. This was, this was a lot of fun. It's been great. Thanks, Ben. Ben does amazing work for Knicks Film School, amazing independent work. Check out his video breakdowns. You want to learn about just the sport of basketball. Like I've learned a lot just watching uh, Ben's breakdowns. Make sure you check that out. Make sure you check him out on those post games, those podcasts with Knicks Film School, all those guys over there. Tremendous work. So uh, thank you, Ben. Thank you guys for listening to this edition of Orange and Blue Blood and Odyssey WF Fan Original. Remember, you can get these episodes wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. You can hit the auto download feature on your streaming service so you can make sure you get this episode when we drop. And check us out on YouTube. You can find us on the Odyssey Sports channel. That's going to do it now. for now, though. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. For Ben, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace. <laughs>